Hey, this is CJ Couch, producer of the Yellow Bird Connect podcast, and you are listening to a special Friday episode with Danny Catan, Managing Director of Property Investment Advisors. He was also the keynote speaker at our Yellow Bird Connect event, which is the first Thursday of every month at Jacksonville Golf and Country Club. If you'd like more info, go to yellowbirdconnect.com. And without further ado, let's hop into the episode. The main reason we started Connect is we were just sick of attending the same seminars um, and hearing a sales pitch all the time at the end. We just wanted to do something different, something that added value. It's just not who we are. It's not what we're doing. It's that we're consistent in doing it, and we're good at converting the leads that come in. So we're putting all that information out there for free, giving everyone that opportunity to do it also. The idea behind it is the more we give, the more we give back. If you all have liked what you've been hearing, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Now let's get into today. Awesome, guys. Um... Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to Facebook Live, everybody listening. Uh, we had a great event last night. I want to introduce Danny Catan. He was uh, one of our speakers last night, or the speaker, and uh, absolutely crushed it on stage. Brought a lot of uh, crazy topics, crazy things that a lot of us don't think about to the equation. Um, you've got a guy with a ton of experience in the single family, multifamily space, um, but beyond that, um, just ideas flowing from his mind, and, and I just gravitate to the whole concept. So, welcome, Danny. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I mean, last night was great. I know we had a lot of uh, questions from people, a lot of people that were reaching out to ask some sp- stuff. So we wanted to kind of go over some of that this morning. And yeah. uh, let's just get into. Let's start out with that. All the the questions that we didn't really have time to get to uh, last night. So hey, one more thing before we start that though. Yes. Let's, Danny, give give your thirty second elevator pitch for the people that didn't attend last night. You know who you are, where you came from. Well, I originally was born in Colombia, South America. That's the part of the accent. Actually, it got worse when I got. I to thought Miami, it was Jersey. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> really? Exit 39. <laughs> now, uh, I'm, uh, I'm an industrial engineer with an MBA in finance. I, you know, ex-investment banker, started a dot-com, a telecom company. Eventually in Miami, I figured out that it was going to be a bubble in real estate. Prepared myself for it. Uh, in 2009, uh, we started buying single-family houses where it was not cool to buy single-family houses as an asset class. We started to institutionalize that company uh, Pia Group USA.com. You can look at that uh, in the website. And uh, we built a portfolio of about 400 houses, 400 multifamily units, uh, doors. And we just sold our single family houses to a newer fund. And we're disposing of our small multifamily. And now we're pivoting to large scale multifamily. So right now we're trying to buy. Uh, institutional size multifamily, meaning 150 units plus in working class areas in Florida, Georgia, Carolinas, Texas, uh, secondary tertiary market. Awesome. Okay. So last night there was a lot of questions coming in. The first one's pretty basic. It's just, um, it's from anonymous. It says, how do you find your first deal? That's a question we get multiple times a day. I mean, Danny, do you got any, where did you guys start when you guys decided, you know, it was time to start buying? I mean, it was a different, 2009 was obviously a different time, Well, but where did you guys start in that? The, the story goes back a little bit, right? Okay. So, so I'm in, I'm, I'm basically living out of my credit cards, uh, in 2005, got married. Uh, my wife told me I'm going to have a kid and I'm like scared, right? For sure. And, uh, you know, at that, at that moment I'm like, wait, hold on, you know, 
couple of kids are just basically lining up to buy condos, walking out of those condos and then flipping them the next day for $30,000. It doesn't make sense. And that brought me memories from the dot-com days where anybody was doing just basically a business in a napkin, right? Mm-hmm. And I said, something's weird. And I started talking to my friends, you know what? There's going to be kind of a bubble, you know? This is not sustainable. And then one guy in a party, which I think the guy changed my life. I cannot remember his name or his face, but he said, oh, it's going to be like the you know, savings and loans uh, days when you know, everything imploded. And there was the Resolution Trust Corporation selling loans, loans for pennies on the dollar. I'm like, wait, well, you know, I want to buy anything for pennies on the dollar. So I decided that I was going to start planning to buy loans when the you know, economy imploded. And so I went to work for Countrywide to understand how a loan is made. So then I can buy loans because I didn't know how to buy a loan. And when the economy imploded, I started or tried to buy loans. I priced them at what I think was a fair price, but those loans, the banks were not telling. And a banker told me, well, the reason is that, you know, we're, you're trying to price the loan to the REO, the real estate owned by the bank. And it turns out to be that we're pricing the REO very low because we're getting so many of them, we don't, we don't know what to do with that. And so I called my, my current partner right now, Jimmy. He used to own a franchise of We Buy Ugly Houses. And he had flipped like five or 600 houses, right? Mm-hmm. And I said, Jimmy, we're going to go buy houses, fix them, and rent them. And he goes, well, I don't know. I mean, houses are meant to be flipped. It's like, no, you, we can rent them. And that's how we started. Now, our first house, uh, you know, we went to the investors, and we started pitching them the idea. And they said, well, but how many do you own, right? So sometimes that first house is like, you know, we bought it so we can own it. It wasn't the best deal mm-hmm. because back in 2008, which when we bought it, uh, you know, it wasn't really bottoming, but it was already rented. You know, it had a tenant. It was proof of concept. Mm-hmm. And then in 2009, we started scaling with other investors. So how do you find your first deal in today's market? Uh, a lot of work, a lot of sweat and for tears. For sure, for sure. I mean, for for us, you know, there's there's a million different ways to find a deal. So there's all these avenues: um, you know, foreclosure auction, door knocking, cold calling, uh, send out postcards, send out direct mail, go after probates, go after. So there's all these avenues. My advice for everybody is like pick one. So like pick one of the avenues. So and dedicate your like your efforts to learning. How the hell do I figure out? probates. How do I talk to a probate attorney? How do I navigate that space? How do I sit at a table and understand what a probate is? Because a lot of your sellers, you might have a really good deal staring at a good deal in front of your face. But if you don't know how to talk to this person and explain what the pro- a probate is and how you're going to navigate it, how you're going to help them find an attorney and get through it, you may not end up, you may you know miss out on it if you're scatterbrained and you're trying to learn a little bit of you know, 50 different strategies. So my advice for first deal, anyone asking is like, pick something. They all work. Pick something. Um, and just, and just actually learn it though. Don't just try to like wing it. Actually learn. What is that? Like, what is that process? What is this? Because you are dealing with the person's typically biggest investments, their personal home. So especially if you're, you know, if you're dealing with, you know, marketing, you're trying to go direct to direct to owners, you know, Try not to wing that conversation. Like, actually learn how am I going to help this person out? Um, how am I going to navigate this deal? And it's really hard to learn it all. It takes years and years and years to to be an expert. 
Um, but if you just pick out one little thing, tax deeds, pick out one little thing. Okay, delinquent taxes. This is how we're going to navigate this. This is how I can explain to them, hey, if you don't pay it by this date, you're going to lose your house. You're going to have so much more ammo and you're going to be so much more dangerous when you get into that situation um, versus just like, I barely know it. I got to call my buddy. In today's market, if somebody calls me and asks me advice, they probably lost the deal because somebody snooped in behind them in, in that conversation. So, um, so I always just say, learn something, become really good at it. Yeah. I like the direct and like intention of everything, like how you were like, I need to learn loans. So you went and learn loans and how you're saying like, take these things and figure it out. Like if you just jump into it, I feel like you're going to be so overwhelmed if you don't take the time to learn things step by step. If you just go in there and you're like, Oh, I'm going to take all the steps at once. There's no way it's going to work. Sure. So let, let, let me interrupt you. Oh yes, sir. Please. <clears throat> so a warning sign to everybody who thinks that, you know, flipping houses is easy. Some people, I heard some people last night quitting their jobs because they think they're going to be making a lot of money. Uh, if you're quitting your job to do this, I think it's a wrong step. Mm -hmm. uh, do not quit your job until you learn this business very, very well. But somehow I don't understand that gets to me. It's like, okay, I'm going to go into real estate. I'm going to flip deals. First thing you have to do is get your real estate license. Absolutely. Right? Learn how to work the MLS, right? Because it's kind of stupid, right? Let's say you're going to go buy a deal and then you're going to sell it and you're going to pay a realtor a 3% just because they have a license. That's that's it's, all they get. I fight that one. I right? mean, literally, we, we talk so, about it all the time. If you are in this business and you're taking this business seriously, go get a real estate license. Understand how a mortgage works. I'm not telling you go get a mortgage license, but you know, sit down with a mortgage broker and understand what your options are. You might be able to buy a house with 3% money down, right? If you know, they're rehab loans and stuff like that. So you don't have to go to a hard money lender. Sorry about that. No, I know you're you good. Guys you're good. But again, this is about the common good, right? It's, it's like, you know, we're not here as gurus trying to tell people come and talk to us because I don't want to sell anything. But I'm just worried that there's a lot of people trying to get into this in the moment that it's very hard to get to this. I mean, one of the gurus or one of the things I, I get every like week on Facebook is somebody's like burning a real estate license. Like you don't need a real estate license in order to do real estate. And I sit there and I, I cringe at that because like, I mean, a real estate license costs me $500,000 a year to maintain my license, but I have MLS access. I have all this, all these tools that I use every single day. And for somebody to say, oh, you don't need this, but I'm, I'm going to be a real estate investor, to me, it baffles me. I mean, it absolutely baffles me. Well, I have a confession to make. So I, I didn't get my real estate license well, then you until just... like two, three years <laughs> later, right? So I used my wife's, Yeah. right? And every time I used to call like a realtor, it's like, hello, who's this? Hello, I'm Clara. Yeah. And sometimes my voice was raspy. It's like, are you okay? No, I have a cold, sorry. <laughs> but but I knew I was an expert at the MLS yeah. because that's how we found the, the opportunities. The reason I didn't get the real estate license because we're too busy trying to do other things. For sure. Right? So it takes time. But right now the market is very complicated, right? Everybody and their mother is trying to buy things. So just, just be, be careful. Be Absolutely. Aware. You know, I think those people that are like burning the real estate license or whatever, I don't think they actually mean it. I think it's just a way to like get a bunch of views and get this attention and appeal to the people who aren't going to make it. You know what I mean? Like, I, don't, I know that sounds mean, but like the people who are going to try to just jump in the, and not take the, the time problem, to learn. It's the problem like too easy in to get people involved and pay for your masterclass or whatever. The pro well, the problem with the education thing is when, if you're actually selling education, that's your business, 
you've got to make it. You're, you're attracted. The person you're selling is the person typically with no money that has another job. So that's, that's your client. It's not me or you, or it's, it's, it's your clients that, so you've got to make it look so easy that, cause you're selling it being easy. And, and for some people it gets easier, but like for us, I mean, you know, we buy 30 houses a month. Like I'm the janitor of it. I got to take out the trash. I got to yeah. deal with all the crap. This in it. no way seems easy. Like it, from it, my it point is, of view, is, working in no here. Way, far, How many times you almost got killed? Oh, it's like, far from killed. easy. Well, like, we're not Jacksonville. Right? We don't, we don't do that, but you're in I'm, South, I'm Florida. South Florida, but you're, yeah, yeah. I mean, Columbia, you're used to that, right? People oh, definitely get killed here though. Beautiful country, Columbia. No, I know. I actually never been there, so I shouldn't talk crap about it, but no, I love it. I actually love all this, uh, Central America, but, um, but it's not, it's not what the gurus say, but what the gurus say is what's easy to sell. Exactly. You know, so it's easier to sell, Hey, instead of go and get your real estate license, it's easier to say, you don't need it. It's easier to sell. You don't need money out of pocket. So you don't see a guru saying, Hey, our, yeah, our course, you have to be a millionaire in order to join our course. But it's not sellable. But here's exactly. the, here's the problem with the gurus. I think what they're trying to tell you is that you need a nanny. And for that privilege, I'm going to charge you 50% of all your hard work. And, you know, if you want to give 50% of the hard work, I'll take 25. I don't mind working for half of there 50%. You the offer's and on the table. The offer's on the table. Danny at PiagroupUSA.com. <laughs> All right. If you want to call me and ask me questions about how to do things, great. But you have to give me 25%, not 50. And I still don't encourage it. Don't call me. Figure out yourself. Because why are you going to leave 25% or 50% of your hard work? Right? It, it Just... Go to the Brias and the Rias and talk to people. You know, a lot of the good investors are very approachable. So I will shy away from the guru types because all they want is somebody else to want to do the work for them. Absolutely. And sometimes they, you know, I've seen situations where the guy's like wholesaling a house that is brought by one of his, you know, sort of mentees. And the guy is trying to arrange it where, you know, half of the income comes from you know, the real price and the other half of the income comes from the money that he gets on the side. So at the end, the mentee gets screwed also by that guru. So yeah. I just don't, I don't get it, man. I get it. And, and that's the, one thing we're trying to do here. I mean, that's one with this whole connect initiative. It's trying to get around that. I mean, all this, all the information, somebody asked that same question about, you know, where do I find the first deal? I mean, YouTube that same question and you'll get a lot of really good answers for free. Oh yeah. Um, you'll get, you know, that, that topic's been discussed a thousand times by a lot of people and, and the information's out there. You don't need to pay somebody $10,000 to attend their mastermind to hear it. Oh yeah, for sure. Are and they paying $10,000 for a mastermind? No, mine. Do I? No. Are they paying $10,000 oh, yeah. for a mastermind? Oh yeah. All day long. And you're doing I mean, things for free? People do it all day long. That's, that's what we do. People okay. are spending we like 15 free. grand for 20 minutes with somebody. Like it's crazy. Hey, it's listen, absolutely insane. 15 grand will take me for a week. So if they want to spend a week yeah. with me and want to pay 15 grand, call me. Yeah. <laughs> And that's like, I don't know. I'm not going to get into it. It's crazy. But, um, okay. No, do get into it. Do get into it. Okay. The offer's out there. Man, I'm hey. buying houses hey. when it's cheaper to just basically just yeah, sell education. It's just, uh -huh. it's just people are like, they get a big social media presence. And like Kyle, for instance, is a beast. And you two, you guys have so much information, but you don't have 5 million followers. It's like, I don't see how 5 million followers means you know anything about a business. Well, the problem with me is I don't. I mean, you don't even, try. I spend time on the followers because you guys, but I've never actually spent time on the followers. I have to, I have to operate. So yeah, I have to be, saying. I have to be on my game. What working are followers? My business. Because you yeah. are like, I, ha I have to be like, I don't have a choice. Like when I get distracted, like if I get distracted and go, because you guys need me to do a video or, or do this stuff, I'm missing houses right now. It's all like, truly like I don't, I'm missing houses. All the, that's guys, what I mean. If somebody has 5 million followers, they're not doing real estate. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> okay, what I'm saying. Be very it's aware like, of that. Yeah. You're paying 
15 grand for 20 minutes with this person who isn't really working in the business like y'all are. You know what I mean? Like y'all are. Boom. Next question. Boom. On to it. Okay. Um, we were talking about Connect. Can you just tell people when Connect is? We got questions asking when. When uh, it's every connect. month, first Thursday of every month, um, six o'clock till, you know, we kind of end around nine o'clock. It's currently at Jack's Golf and Country Club off of Hodges until we outgrow the space, which I feel like is coming quickly. Um, and then we'll have to pivot and see where we go next. But we encourage everybody to come out. I mean, it's a uh, it's a good group. It's free to attend. Uh, we do ask for some donations from some local charities, but um, but it's a fun. I mean, and, and we enjoy it. It's a lot of fun for us. Last night was packed. It was great. Um, next question: How do you convince a seller to take a lower price when they want market value? The games, it's cash versus is now versus later, right? You have to identify the pain point. If somebody's selling, 100%. it's for a reason, right? You so, got to think market value. Market value one to most people, you know, can be a very, that's a range, you know, for a lot of people. Um, two, and we, I always say this, and I've, you know, a lot of our stuff gets repetitive, but it's the CarMax approach too. You go to CarMax, you know, you're not getting market value, but it's convenient. You can walk out with a check, you know? And, and so for a lot of people, for us, why do we, you know, you go to, you go to a Seven Eleven, you buy one bottle of water for a dollar 85. And when you could go to Publix and buy a 24 pack for four ninety nine. Convenience though, you don't feel like walking the Publix, but you're sitting there and you're getting your gas pumped and it's no different. You know, the housing thing is no different. It's convenient. So if you can provide something that that's more convenient, that's easier, that's likable, that's trustworthy and win over and win somebody over, it's why you do it. And the thing is like, for me, I'm in the business. I still wholesale real estate. I still leave money on the table all the time for convenience. So if somebody calls me and Hey, if I get two offers and somebody close tomorrow or close in two weeks, if the price is a couple thousand dollars less, a lot of times I'll close tomorrow. Even though I don't need to personally, I could hold it for two more weeks and make two thousand dollars more. We still do the same thing, so the whole world's built upon that. Um, and so your pain points, you're right. You, you figure out what they want and what their real need is, and it's not always market value. Um, sometimes a lot of you know a lot of times it's not. If the first conversation you're having it's about price, I think it's the wrong approach. The first conversation is why you why you want to sell. Mm. You need to identify the why and then it becomes easy oh i need to sell because you know you know my mom has died and you know i don't i don't know what to do with that house that i have in jacksonville right then you know the guy needs to sell for sure right? but if somebody doesn't need to sell then you know just walk away but it's also like from the wholesale model from our model trying to buy undervalued assets we're not for the majority you know, we're, we're, we have to meet a lot of people in order to get a deal. You have to look at a lot of apartment complexes in order to find value. There's a lot of stuff that is market value and you're, you're, you're sifting through it. So I always say to people like, don't, you can't get caught up on, oh, I, Hey, I drove by this house and there's a for sale by owner sign and they want market value. I really want to buy that one. Then you got to drive by a hundred for sale by owner signs, make the same call to find the one person that is willing to pay that, you know, sell for the price you want. And remember, here's the other trick, right? So you want to be a wholesaler or a wholesaler? Half of that battle is not the price that you bought it for. Is how much money you're going to be overcharging the by the general contractor. So unless you're like a master at understanding how much money you need to put into a property, right? You gain nothing by by you know buying a property at a good price. If later you're going to get screwed by a contractor. So you know going back to the question of what needs to be developed. I mean, 
get your real estate license and also partner up with a very good general contractor, make him part of your business, right? Uh, something uh, that helps you, that gives you an edge when you're trying to uh, rehab Big a time. house. Big time. I really enjoyed last night how you were talking about, you know, if you're going to invest in gas stations or something, like who knows, they might not be around in 20 years at most, really, you know? Um, <clears throat> have you always been, because you talk about the dot-com boom, have you always been on like the forward cusp of technology and where things are going? Or is this like a past 10 years thing where you kind of got into some tech stuff and you just well, read some stuff? Again, as an engineer, I got a different mind. Oh. Um, my partners think, I think outside the box. I'm like, what's the box? What kind and of I, engineering did you get? I'm an industrial engineer. Very nice. Yeah. So, and then, and then uh, I did my MBA in finance. And that helps me a lot with numbers, right? So uh, before engineering school, after high school, I think that the problem of the world was ideas, right? Mm -hmm. There's not enough ideas, right? You graduate engineering school, you say, oh, ideas are plenty, right? The problem is money. Then you go to business school, Wharton, very good school. And then you realize, well, there's plenty of money, right? The problem is people. Right? How do you execute an idea with people and with money and with ideas? Right? And then after a while, after being an entrepreneur, you realize that the problem is not people, ideas, or money. The problem is strategy. Right? And just let, let me give you a very quick example. Right? So Bill Gates basically had this great idea of creating an operational software, and IBM, it was commissioned by IBM. And his strategy was, oh, I'm not going to sell it to you. I'm just going to rent it to you. If he would have sold that initial operating software, he wouldn't have created Microsoft, right? Uh, Zuckerberg, right? His idea is, let's build it, they will come. That's my strategy. You know, I mean, the kid got offered like a billion dollars for Facebook and he passed on it. It's crazy. Why? That's because so because he was committed to his vision, right? To his strategy. And I think that right now, that what the difference between a lot of the successful people is how committed to a strategy you are. Uh, getting back to your question, uh, you know what, when we were buying houses in 2009, yeah, we were in the sort of verge of technology because we were like coding our own software because there was no property management software out there. Mm. And I hate the fact that we had to code our own software, but it was a, it was a real business, right? Now, as you start to move into let's buy bigger buildings, you have to start to identify risks and you need to become very good at identifying risk because at the end, we're entrusted with other people's money. And our job is to be stewards of that money. Mm -hmm. So unless, unless we do that well, you know, we won't have that reputation 5, 10, 20 years from now. And that's the most important thing that we have. So how do I identify risk in order to make sure that I don't do like a dumb mistake of buying a building next to a car factory, and what if the car factory is not going to be there five, ten years from now? Now, most people will not see that coming. And, most and, people and, are, like, you, they hear about something that big of a change, and they can't even imagine not driving a car or whatever. You know what I mean? It's just they're so closed off to the progression of what's actually happening. Right. There's but, no going back. But, but, but again, and most people will go to their investors, listen, you know, I'm a real estate guy. What, I shouldn't have known that... Uh, uh, you know, the cars were going to be replaced and there'll be no car mm -hmm. factory in this town that I bought this building. 100%. Yeah, but that's not, I mean, their job is not 
just to invest in the real estate, is to understand what jobs are created around that building and what affects that job, right? So I go back to the same story. I cannot take money to go invest in a Barnes & Noble and buy a Barnes & Noble triple net lease without thinking about Amazon, right? I at least have to disclaim to my investors, you know what? There is this technological risk that this Barnes & Noble will no longer exist five to ten years from now. And if they're okay with that, that's fine. You might find an investor who says, you know what, Danny, don't worry about it. You know, I don't think that, you know, car factories are going to be erased from the map. Okay, just fine, cool. Go buy that building. But that's, we're not about that. Yeah. yeah. Well, and those are things that, I mean, it's, it's cool to think about that stuff. I mean, it's cool to, and, and, and if you, when you really dive into it, like you have, you, you see it coming and you almost, you know, like, you get comfortable with where you can't lose that argument. Like it's coming, it's going to happen. It only makes sense. Like the world evolves and gets better and we don't need cars. We don't need to each own a car. And if we don't need to each own a car, it's going to happen. Like the world does, you know, yeah, but you see it today with this clarity. Exactly. Oh, it's so clear for us. So step back 15 years ago, right? Or I don't know whenever it happened. Netflix Netflix goes to Blockbuster and said, Hey, you know what? Buy me out. And Blockbuster says, nah. Why? Because it's going to cannibalize my my business, it's right? Crazy. And these guys didn't see it. Mm-hmm. It does not exist. Those companies think ten years ago, getting in, in a you know a stranger's car and driving somewhere from the airport. But you always I mean, you got, would, like you would wait, never wait, think of that. Wait, that one's crazy. You always got into a stranger's car. The fact that the guy had a taxi that's license that it. doesn't mean that but, he's but not it's a stranger. Still, but now it's now it's the only way. Now it's you don't even you don't wave a taxi down. The taxi drives by, you're like, I don't really want to go in his car. It's now dirty, it's old and stinky. You know, I'd rather I'd rather get this Uber X that's nicer and has is more comfortable and it's cheaper. Sure. And the yeah. question is what is going to revolutionize the world five, ten years from now? I mean, you just right? don't need people, you know? And that's the that's I'm sorry? You don't you won't need people. I think case. you will always need people. No, I'm saying in like an Uber X. No, but in that's a, a different a story. Yeah, the absolutely. car will drive itself, that's fine. Yeah. What will happen with that car is that you might not need to you know, take a flight to go from Miami to Orlando, you just basically get into a self-driving car that gets you there, right? So suddenly, you know, that airline that used to make a lot of money from the Miami to Orlando flight, you know, might not make it. So you start getting in the first derivative of the problem, the second derivative, the third derivative, you start, you know, merging one technology, technology with the other, and God knows what happened. Again, the message last night is risk-adjusted returns, right? Sure. Identified risk. And if you're buying something... Understand what technology is going to change what you bought, right? That's it. If you don't understand what technology is going to affect what you're buying, then you shouldn't be buying it. For sure. At least do a research. I'm kind of surprised we're not in an autonomous, like, plane situation right now because they're so good with drones. You would think, like, why not just make a 737 or whatever that can just pilot itself? Well, they say that the plane of the future will have... A pilot and a dog. The pilot will be to push the button, turn the plane on, and the dog will be there to make sure the pilot doesn't push any other buttons and if they do, to bite them. Right? Uh, again, you know, air traffic control is very, very complicated. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay? And eventually, I think that that might be a situation. The amount of but, planes in the sky a day is really but do think you, about Do you really so want to jump into a plane with no pilot, right? So it's an economic situation. Yeah. Well, but also right? think about like, you know, the Hyperloop and all that stuff that's yeah. coming out. I mean, and I don't follow it enough, but I mean, think if you could live in Washington, D.C. and get to New York for, for, for work that day. But you could live in a suburb, you know, 200 miles away and get there in 20, you know, 20 minutes. 
Well, I mean, what a massive change that would be. I mean, what a massive new city if, you know, the jobs were in Jacksonville and you could live in Madison, Florida. I mean, Madison, Florida just has land right now. You could go to Madison. You could develop a full new city ground up in a place like you know, central Florida. Like there's just land everywhere. You could develop a completely new city but still get to, you know, downtown Orlando in 15 minutes. So, again, you have all these technologies are in the pipeline that are already real, holographic teleconferencing. Uh, Google it. Google holographic teleconferencing by Cisco. Yeah, that HoloLens too. Microsoft's right. HoloLens is crazy. So my first question is, why do you need to be in your office? Right? So why do you have to go to work? Work can be in your home. Right? And let's understand that we all need to get outside our home. Somehow happens your brain is different when you change from your pajamas to you know, your work clothes and you kind of leave the house. Uh, one of the worst mistakes I did when I started my dot com was I started from my home, mm-hmm. right? It's just like you, you know, you didn't change. It's right? hard. I can't, a, I can't do chip, it. Right, mm-hmm. and then there's a situation uh, that if you stay at home, then you get, you know, involved with all the tasks that are, you know, the managing the home and the whole thing. So I think people will still need to go out, and that's why we have the WeWorks. And at the end, what happens? You don't go to Starbucks for coffee. You go to Starbucks to meet, right? Starbucks mm-hmm. coffee is not really good, but you know, somehow they made it you know, desirable. Exactly. They just put them everywhere. Yeah. Okay. So this next question is extremely specific. And for basically the Facebook live audience, it was asked by not Dom. And it says, what happened to Gonzalez's leg? I have no idea. Yeah. I don't know. So yeah, I don't know. No idea. I saw him. I saw him (laughs) limping in there on crutches. So, okay. Next one. Can I do owner financing if they have a mortgage on the house? Yes. Next question. <laughs> no, we can we can elaborate on no, that. No, I was just kidding. Yeah. Um, can you do owner financing if they have a mortgage on their house? I mean, a lot of times, yes. I mean, or, or, or a lot of times, I mean, you absolutely you can do whatever you want in a lot of cases. I mean, if the mortgage remains, um, the, the one thing I've shied away from it personally, um, but, but again, everybody has different mindsets and different ways that they operate. Um, so can I just cut you off real quick? Cause I'm not, um, I, I'm, I always try to be like the layman voice. So can you explain to me like what is owner financing? What's different about that? What's you know, specific about this question? So, and again, the question's not fully like there's, there's pieces missing in that question, okay. you know, that, that, that I, that can be explained kind of differently, but I mean, owner financing would be like me owning a property, financing it to you. I'm the bank, right? Okay. I get it. So in, in this case, I could be the owner. Of the, I could I could be buying a property from um, from somebody that has a mortgage on it. I do, and then I can still sell it to you, but that mortgage remains. Um, it gets a little dicey. The things the things that I don't like about it, and a lot of people, you know, again, it's an easily coachable thing because it doesn't involve as much cash out of pocket. So a lot of gurus, a lot of people, really get attracted to it. Most mortgages have due on sale clauses. Most mortgages, you're not supposed to like if my personal house. If I sell it to you. I'm supposed to, if I transfer the deed, I'm supposed to pay the property off. Um, Most banks, they don't even keep track of it. As long as they get their payments, it can continue to flow. So you can continue to make the payments under my name or not even under my name, but send a payment. As long as the bank sees it, they're fine with it. But in the writing of the bank, most most mortgages have due on sale clauses. You're also skirting with somebody's, um, you know, credit potentially. So I really, one thing I really hate, it's one thing if I took over someone's mortgage and I was personally responsible for it. Um, cause I feel responsible for it. If I sell it to somebody else and now they're responsible for it and I middlemaned it 
And so I sold this guy and keeping this mortgage outstanding. And then I sold it to somebody that I don't know just to make some money on it. Now they're responsible for it. This person still looked at me because I originally sold them on this concept and this idea. And so I really don't love that business model just because I don't want to carry the risk of somebody's personal finances, personal mortgage, credit reports. So I personally shy away from it. Anything can be done. There's a lot of stuff in the business that you can do um, and make money on it. But it's just been one of those things that I've shied away from it. Gurus are all over the owner financing and the um, and keeping keeping debt outstanding um, from old from you know from old sellers. Um, but but we've always been really away from it. I, I think so. there's a situation where everybody benefits, right? Let's say say for example somebody owns you know a hundred thousand dollars on a home that as is it's worth eighty, but if you repair it and put the money on it, it's worth hundred and fifty. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that situation is great because, you know, the alternative to the person who owns that home is just basically, you know, just gives it back to the bank, right? Uh, having said that, the most important thing here for everybody to understand is that when you take over somebody's mortgage, the law says or the document says that you have to pay it. Now, you're, you know, the bank will never notice, right? Mm-hmm. But then again, it's always do no harm, right? If If you... Promise the other person, don't worry, I'm going to take over your mortgage, I'm going to make the payments. And the guy has perfect credit. You gave that person your promise, your word is your bond. If the guy already has a 400 credit score, who cares? Right? But then again, if you have to avoid foreclosure, if you sell that uh, property with that mortgage to somebody who doesn't care about the other person and you know puts that person into foreclosure without the original owner know, knowing about it, then we have a problem. And you hold someone hostage, you know? So if I'm, if I'm, if you sold me your house, it was your old mortgage and three years go by and I'm still making the payment. You want to go buy another house. You could get remarried. Something happens. You want to go buy another house. That thing's still showing up on your report. You don't have any income from it. You don't have anything showing, but that, that property's still there and it might hold you up from doing the next thing you want to do in your life. Correct. So you, you kind of hold people hostage and that's one of those, again, it's not that it's wrong. People do it all the time. It's a huge guru thing. Um, at the same time, it's like, do I want to hold anybody hostage? You know, do I want to have to live with that? If it's a short-term thing, if it's, yes, I'm going to, like you said, we got this, we got this solution. I can take the, take it on our financing. I can renovate it, sell it. We're going to get it done in a couple months. Transparency. Everybody knows what's going on. That can work out really well. Um, the ones I, the ones that scare me are the people that try to do it really long-term because what's okay for the seller when he gives you that thing and he says, yeah, no problem. Make payments for five years. I'm never buying a house again. Problem is that guy's life's going to change. They're going to remarry. Something's going to happen. They're going to want to buy a house. They're going to want to get a new car. And that home may affect that next decision. It may actually, and then, and then you're going back and forth and, 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 and you're putting yourself in that position. And it's, I've, we've, we've just internally always tried to avoid it. So Kyle, one question. How many of your deals have been referrals by other people who sold you houses? Not, not a ton from, from like the homeowners, tons of investors, tons of um, realtors, some, you know, not a ton, but some, but, right. but the experience is huge. The experience of just the, the referral, the, the positive energy from it. Not that we get a ton of deal flow from past clients. Most people have one house to sell. Right. But you know, if, if they do very well with you, they'll call their friends and they said, oh, just call Kyle and, if you have a problem, right? So it goes back to if I'm taking over your mortgage and holding you hostage in a very bad situation, you're not going to get that bad vibe. And I truly think that if you do good in this world, Absolutely. you know, your business will prosper. No business can be scaled on the misery of other people. 
And that, that, that situation, that. even, even if you do it right, like even if you did everything right in that situation and, and you said, Hey, I'm going to take over this mortgage. And the person said, I don't care if it's 30 years, it sits out here and you do it. So you do it everything right from the beginning. Doesn't mean it's right. You know, it doesn't mean that that, that person five years from now, you, you might've had all the transparency, all the right intention up front. Doesn't mean that five years from now, that person's not pissed off at you, yelling at you on your doorstep. And that's where. I don't, no, I know that that risk is there and I don't, yeah. And I don't want to put myself or my team or people in that position. So we, so that's why we avoid it. Um, not that it's wrong, not that you can't make money on it, but that's one reason we avoid it. I just don't want to, I never want to have one person upset at me. Um, and, and those are hard ones. There's, you can get, and I've seen it over and over again where people get in really tough situations by taking over someone's mortgage. So next question, this is, we've gone over this a little bit before. Um, Pretty common as well. It's um, how many mailers does it take before I get a deal? What do you think the percentage is? One in a hundred? One in two hundred? Today, oh wait, way more. I wish it was one in a hundred. We kill one, it. That would be sick. <laughs> one in a thousand? Yeah. No. No, we're we're so we're currently. I mean, I, I know from our numbers currently we're sending about sixty thousand postcards a month. Sixty thousand mailers. That's out. That's outside of a lot of other stuff we do. So it's probably closer to sixty-five to seventy thousand we're probably getting seven to eight deals a month from that source. Not from a financial thing, not the best from our marketing things. We have a lot of things we've got to figure out internally on that. It used to be, um, close you know, deals. Yeah. How close deals. So, so leads, we probably do a hundred, you know, a hundred calls for every deal, you know, hundred, 150 calls for every deal. 50% of those people are calling to yell at you or to tell you that they're not interested in selling the other 50, you know, the other 50% may give you an address, um, out of that hundred, you may get four or five people that are really serious and you buy one of those houses. Um, right now, I mean, our cost is, is crazy high per, per acquisition. Um, you know, fortunately the market's good. So, you know, a lot of times, you know, we're, we're still doing okay from financially on that trade. Um, used to be a lot different. I mean, are you, you know, if our cost is $8,000 a deal right now, it used to be 1500, 2000, $2,500 a deal, even like a year ago. Um, tons of competition in the space. One reason we're switching and going to a lot of digital stuff is just that the postcard method, I think is just sort of dying. It's that slow death, um, still works, still produces, but I don't think in five years, I don't think we're going to send a postcard out. Um, I think we're going to completely change. And that's one reason we're going heavy into the uh, digital side and the marketing side. Um, I think that's, it's that slow death. Not that we're not going to jump completely out of it yet. Um, but it's changing. What do you think uh, the future of like real estate marketing looks like five years from now? I don't know. I keep on saying that the that the person is still very important. Mm-hmm. Again, uh, when we were selling the Telenova houses, you know, I you know I told my realtors, listen, uh, I think that the human interaction is very important. It's like selling a car; you still need that salesperson. So the realtor, the broker, needs to change, right? Needs needs to understand what are marketing methods to do it. But I think when you're selling a house, there's this personal touch, mm-hmm. right? If it's an investor house, there's this personal touch, right? It's very hard for me to sell to an investor while explaining how that house is going to return money. If it's an owner-occupied, right, you still have to have somebody show you, and you know, this is where you're going to put the bedroom, the bathroom, the whole thing. Make them feel warm and fuzzy, right? That, you know, cookie smell, that, you know, the uh, the theory goes that you bake cookies in a house before you show it because it makes you feel more at home. You know, you need somebody there. The question is how much you're going to pay that person. 
Are you going to pay them 3%? They're going to pay them 6%, right? You got the iBuyers, but the iBuyers are, are, you know, it's a very small fraction of what's happening, but it's nevertheless, it's happening. The problem is, is that the realtors do not change with technology. They're going to have the blockbuster situation, right? Blockbusters did not embrace technology. They kept that, you know, they kept the same stores and, and nothing happened. Uh, so I think as a realtor, you need to embrace technology, understand where it is. And eventually that 3% is probably going to go down to two or to one. It doesn't mean that, uh, that the realtors will not be a profession. It just means that most realtors will be professional realtors. Whereas right now the big bulk of the realtors is just somebody who gets a realtor's license, you know, thinking, okay, I'm just going to get one deal a year and, you know, make enough money out of it. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think you're that, spot on. I mean, that's I, I've had, we've, we've never had this conversation, me and you, but I think you're spot on to the future. And yeah. I think you're hundred percent right. I mean, the problem with, you know, there'll really be less realtors. Get, it's really easy to go get a real, there'll be license. less realtors. They'll be doing more business, but they'll be competing against other more professional realtors. Yeah. I think hundred percent, hundred percent. And that's, and that's the thing. And that goes back to, it's really a better thing for everybody. Sure. I mean, it's a better thing for the for every homeowner to be dealing with the top of the top, the top ten percent, top twenty percent, because the bottom eighty percent of realtors are people that really are hurting the sellers today. You know, they might have a license, but they're not the best. And and the the reason the best makes a lot of money and does really well is they're the best. They're the what best makes a job. good and bad realtor to you? So so I was I think that the, a great realtor basically returns his phone calls, and I just don't get it. Right, I'm calling a realtor to buy a house. And they don't return, they don't pick up. I'm like, are you so busy? Right? And everybody's so busy, they don't return phone calls. And then, you know, 48 hours later, they're like, you know, before you go to bed, just return the phone calls or the messages. Right? So it's I very have, easy. I have, I have, I know this realtor is very, very successful. You call them up and he picks up. Yeah. And I keep on bothering him. Like, like he has three twins with the same voice picking up the phone because there's no way in hell that this guy has time to pick up my phone call every time. And I know I'm not his most important client or friend. So somehow he's managed to organize himself to make sure that, you know, that phone call gets picked up or returned very quickly. And then it's just follow up. You know, this is the constant battle I have with the guys who work for me, which is send me an email every week saying, you know what? I have a listing. We haven't showed it. There's no action. Talk to you next week. They just list your house and just wait, see what happens, see what sticks, mm-hmm. right? And then they come back to you and said, well, you know what? I told you it was going to sell for $500,000, but we had this $450,000 offer. It's really good. You should take it. I'm like, wait, you told me you can do it, sell it for five hundred. <laughs> so at the end, you have to understand that the motivation of the realtor is just to make that commission. There's a great book called Freakonomics, right? And Freakonomics, it has chapters, uh, you know, Kind of like, you know, why drug dealers live with their moms, right? It's like weird economical research. And, you know, it deals on why realtors keep their houses in the market longer. Why? Because if they sell it for $10,000 more, it's $10,000 that go to the pocket. But if they're selling for somebody else, $10,000 more, it's only $300, mm. right? So they're like, hey, you know what? Just get the deal done and get it yeah. over with. So the way I incentivize my realtors is I tell them, listen, how much do you think you're going to sell it for? So much. Okay, I'll pay you 33% on top of that. And trust me, they'll go hustle. Okay? So I think that the realtor's incentive is misaligned, and that might change. Yeah. Somebody else is going to come with that model. 
Well, right? and, and it's too, in a, in a lot of ways, it's too easy to get your real estate license. It's too easy, but you're right. The way we incentivize them today, you can be, you can be pretty poor in your craft and make a living in it. And I think that's, that is the change is it's going to, that's going to disappear. So where I, you're going to have to be good at what you do in order to make a living in it. So I'll tell you a true story. So, you know, we're selling some small multifamily and, you know, the conclusion is we should use the, you know, the, the multifamily brokers to sell these things. We're selling a 16 unit. And I called one of the guys in one of the big brokers and said, you know what? I'm going to give this 16 unit to you, you know, see what you can do, how much you can, you can sell it for. You know, he's like, what do you want? I give him prices. I think we can do that. He puts it in the market for, you know, 60 days, no offers. All I get is like, I was asking one six offers for one five, one four is like, well, this is the best we can do. Right. I'm like, thank you. I'll get my listing back. I give it to my guys. Right. Which never sold a multifamily before. Uh, Chris, who works for me, uh, the little grasshopper that can, uh, takes a property, goes in there, visits it. And it's his property because it's his way of proving that he can sell this thing. He dedicates himself every day, you know, make sure that he goes with the landscape crew, does a little bit of his magic there without spending too much money. Now we have five offers on the table for 1.65. Mm-hmm. Why? It's very simple. Some of the realtors, they just get listings. They just throw it in their page, see what bites. They're not really representing you. It's just one more. Yep. So you sometimes have- you have to choose the realtor that has the least of experience, okay, that for them, that listing is the listing. Mm-hmm. 100%. It's counterintuitive, right? You want to go with the realtor who sold the most. I will tell you the contrary. Go to a realtor. You look at him in the eye. He said, I'm going to give you this because I trust you, and this is going to be your first deal. You're going to have to bust your ass for this. You can shape them to how you want your realtor to be, basically. Well, I'm assuming Not that in like this like, I'm, evil I'm, way. I'm, you know? I'm assuming you're not a professional investor, but you're just basically a homeowner who wants to sell, right? Just give that person that first chance. Make a contract short. Which, by the way, that's the other problem. You got a six-month listing. Well, you know what? If you haven't sold it in two months, then you shouldn't be rewarded just to have a listing there, right? So they have to have the fire in that butt, you know, for them to sell it. And if the realtor is not willing to say, well, listen, if I sell it below what I promise you, I'm going to take part of that from my commission, you shouldn't be doing business with them. This whole concept that, oh, it's 3% or nothing, and you know what? My time is worth it. Move on, right? Get, get somebody who can actually you know, be paid according to what, how hard they work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, I hear you talking about that all the time, all the time, all the time. Um, last question. And if you guys, you know, um, I, I just love hearing you guys talk bouncing back off each other. It's very good. How do you find and vet good contractors that you can reliably do repeat business with? How do you streamline your rehab processes and workflows for speed? And that is from Henry. Shout out, Henry. What's up, Henry? What up, dude? Um, so for us, and I really, I kind of want to hear Danny's thing because, you know, different markets in different ways. Um, for me, it's one of those things that I'm a heavy believer in. Those guys are so important to me that I need those guys as much as they need me on the job. So you got to take care of these guys. You know, a lot of the contractors, and, and this is bottom level. This isn't like, not even like the, you're hiring this roofing company. It's the guy on the actual roof doing the work. You got to have the respect for that job and respect for like their lifestyle. They need to be paid every Friday. 
they need to. So, so a lot of people, with, especially with contractors, they go into them and set them up for failure. You know, they, they hire, they go on Craigslist, find somebody, set the job up from the beginning with, you know, you know, you've got a guy that's got the scope of work and he said, he'll do it for $2,500 and doesn't have the materials to buy it. How does he get the materials? How does, how do you, how does he become successful? Cause the only way he's going to work for you, the, the question was over and over again is by making him actually have a lifestyle. You don't want your guy to just work for you and be grinding forever because they can't. They're going to go find the next shiny penny, go to the next person. So you've got to figure out how to actually make their business successful and work within your business. Um, and it's gotten hard. It's gotten hard now. It's just pricing's gone up a lot. It's for everybody. Our pricing's 30, 40% higher than it was two, three years ago. Um, across the board, every single roofing, AC, plumbing, every single one, people are getting paid more. Um, so you've got to figure out how to adapt to that. Um, and how to have loyalty for your contractors. We have issues, you know, construction is a, is a game of issues. You're constantly having problems. You've got to be able to adapt to it and figure out how to not let those issues slow you down. Um, you know, a lot of times it's throwing money at it. A lot of times it's, here's how we solve it, but you got to have the people on board that, you know, aren't leaving your job because they misbid it. And now they got to go install a door at another job to make the money to buy the door to come back to your job next week. Cause you just missed a week of finishing the job and marketing time. So for us, um, we spend a ton of time in that, literally that personal relationship down to the guy on the roof. And to me, those are the, those are the guys that make our construction really flow. Yeah. As a contractor um, from before I was doing, you know, wallpaper before this, the people that we would work for that, like you said, look, you could not like look out for us, but they paid us on time. Something as simple as that, pay them on time. Yeah. Just look out for them. Like, you know how many times I've waited 60, 90 days on a ch- You know what I mean? Like, that's crazy. And I'm not saying there aren't times when that happens, but if you just tell them when you're going to pay them and pay them and just make sure they got a good lifestyle, they're going to bust their butt for you yep. and work hard because they're appreciative, you know? Yeah, I, I will tell you, well, there, there's two situations here, right? If you're a guy that is constantly doing homes and you have needs for contractors all the time, it's easy, right? Because you're basically telling them you come work for me, you have future work aligned. And the most important thing is you pay people on a weekly basis, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and if that person's going to walk with your money, then it did you a huge favor because the alternative is they'll do a bad job and then when you sell that house or when you rent it, it's going to come back and bite you, right? So you're going to have the guys that put too much water in the paint and they tell you they're going to do something and they don't do that. So trust but verify. That's the other thing, important thing. Now, let's bring it down to earth, right? This is your first investment and you need to hire a contractor. You're going to get screwed. That's the bottom line. Just assume that. That's okay. what every guest has said. They got right. screwed on contracting their first time. Right. It's You're so going to get screwed the first, learn. the second. It's, the, a, it's, a, it's right. a learning thing. It's right. And, and so here, here, here it is where it gets interesting, right? And this has to be part of your plan. You found this great deal. You can either do it by yourself or you can bring it to your good heart money lender and said, you know, I have this great deal, Right. Can you help me? Can you recommend contractors, right? So there's people, okay? Like these guys here, right? Uh, they have good heart. I'm sure that if somebody brings you a deal, right? Takes your heart money. And I'm not pitching your heart yeah. money service, but you know what? We were talking ye- yesterday about this. It's not only about, oh, I got the cheapest heart money guy. It's about what services that heart money lender guy is going to give you or that partner is going to give you. Listen, somebody, let, let's, let's role play for a second. Yep. I walk in in here and said, hey, listen, I don't know you. I just got this house under contract. I think it's a deal. Uh, I don't need the money. I have it in the bank. 
but I know that I have to put $50,000 in that job uh, and I don't have a contractor for it. Do you mind partnering with me in this house and just, you know, can I have access to your contracting services? And you don't all, know this guy. We do it all the time. Okay. I mean, that's, and that's one, I mean, you know, one of our financial ways in, within Connect and doing all this stuff, I mean, that's one way we're rewarded. We're not, right. We spend a lot of money doing a lot of stuff, but that's one way. And you're, you're, you're so spot on with, if I could have, you know, and when we first started, I had to go through the hard knocks. I had to get screwed. I had to figure out the game. To me, I look back and it was, it was good. Like it was just my cost of business, right? It's your cost to get in the game, to enter it, to figure it all out. But at the same time, yeah, there, there are so many, I mean, still to this day, there's certain properties in Jacksonville. Like we do stuff in like deep in San Marco, old historic stuff. I've got guys like, I don't want to take my core guys in Riverside in a lot of cases to do a big historic renovation, but I still want to buy it and do it. So I'll partner with a GC I know in Riverside that's really good and centralized in that area and profit share with him just because it's not worth my time to drive out there and deal with how do I deal with historical societies? How do I deal with all this stuff? It's not worth my time. So I'm willing to give it up to not have to deal with the potential headaches of the future so I can stay focused on what I'm good at, which is finding deals, finding more opportunities. And so it's that same thing as you're 100% right is I think one of the big things that new investors, they get their, they get their one deal, they get it started and then they go and they spend so much time in construction trying to figure it out when if they would have just found a way to partner with somebody, found a way to find somebody that has an expert that can help them guide them through that and do it a couple of times and then they'll learn and they'll be able to kind of eventually do it by themselves, but guide them through that and that way they can stay focused on acquisitions or wherever else they are. They'll be way more successful than getting bogged down and taking six months of their life you know, running Home Depot toilets to a house and, so, and so stuff let, like that. Let's segue into this because this is a, a problem that I'm seeing in the market. A lot of these people who are getting into the flipping are buying themselves a job, right? They're taking money that it's giving them 2% in the bank, all right? They're going to buy a house. They have very little cost of capital. And they're saying, oh, you know what? I'm going to buy this house for 100 I'm going to put $20,000 in it, and I'm going to sell it for 140 and I'm going to make twenty k. Great. Where's the cost of capital? Where's the cost of selling that house? Right? And is the 20K that you're putting, is it you going to the house every day to supervise a GC that supervises a crew? What about your time to go supervise that? Right? Uh, so I have this sort of, I, uh, I guess, methodology, which I call it the Uber equivalent, right? So if you were driving Uber, you'd make, I don't know, 15 bucks an hour, right? So if you're going to go spend, you know, 40 hours in a home to supervise everybody. That has to be part of your cost. Mm -hmm. It's bandwidth, right? So the 40 hours that you're supervising that house is 40 hours you're not out there hustling to buy another house. Absolutely. So what is your opportunity cost? And you have to identify your opportunity cost. Again, if you, ha if you work nine to five and then after five you're not doing anything, your opportunity cost from five in the afternoon to two o'clock in the morning, it's zero. Yeah. Right. And that's how you build a business. You don't quit a job. You go and after the job, you go ahead and do it. Right. If you take your free time and you convert it into productive time, it's a different story. But if you're going to take your productive time and you're going to be stuck painting a wall just to save you know, 100 bucks, then you're that's not doing you're, the right thing. Or that's what your time's now worth. Right. And again, go to your brain as you know, meet a guy who's done it many, many times who you feel comfortable with. And see how you can partner with them. I'm not talking the guru who's going to let you do all the work and is just going to profit from you. I'm just yeah. so I'm talking somebody who can actually guide you and you know point you out to the right direction, right? So if you if you call me up 
you know, and said, hey, I need a roofer. I'll call you. I'll call my roofer. He's not going to screw you because if he screws you, he's screwing me and he's not going to get any, any, mm-hmm. any roofing uh, contractors from me. For sure. No, I mean, and, that, and it's so spot on. I mean, it's a, uh, I tell, I tell there's people at the table last night talking about buying rentals and I always <laughs> tell people like, you know, pick what you love to do and, and double down on yourself and go full on that. And so if you're one guy that sitting next to me, was like a music producer and he's like, yeah, I love doing my music. That's what I want to do, but I want to buy one or two rentals. And, 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 and to me, it's the distraction of one or two rentals and what that might bring you that if your goals are to become a real deal music producer, you can't be distracted. You don't have time because that if you want to be a real deal music producer, the guys that are in that game, they don't have a five. They don't, they don't check off at five o'clock at night. They're five o'clock till two in the morning. They're up at five in the morning. They're, they're producing and they're becoming the best. If that's the lifestyle you want. And it's the same thing with construction. You there. It's so common people. You're right. They, they create a job. Listen, you know, they cliff it and, and, and they get done and they make $20,000 and they look back and say, man, I worked as a teller at Bank of America and I would have, it took me four months and I would have made the same amount of money. I was just about to say, yeah, it's it's like, like, you made could, 20, yeah, 20 grand over four or five months. Yeah. You know it wasn't, I mean? it wasn't an investment. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't an investment. It wasn't buying yourself a job. Right. I, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who's like, he's in the stock market. He has about a hundred thousand dollars and he like every morning wakes up, reads, you know, about two hours and you know, his whole day is looking at the screen and he's like, oh yeah, I'm. I'm making uh, you know much better than the regular investor. I'm like, okay, uh, you have a hundred thousand dollars. Let's say that the market gives you a six percent return, and you're getting how much? Let's say another four percent, right? So you're getting ten, you know, ten ten percent. Uh, so you're making an extra four thousand dollars a year, and you're spending how much reading about this, yeah. and you're spending how much worrying about this. So we did the math, and he was like making six bucks an hour. <laughs> exactly. So, right? uh, so it's a hobby. Right, yeah. and at the end we concluded. You know what? He likes it. He wakes up every day. He has something to do, something to read. So it's a hobby. He likes that hobby. Great, but there's a difference between a hobby and a profession, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Well, we're we're coming up on an hour here, and I'm sure you've cool. You know, yeah, let's wrap it up. You guys are too busy, guys. It's great to get an hour from both of you. Um, that was awesome last night. Thank you so much. Do you want to plug yourself? Want anyone to? Well, if anyone, anybody wants to pay me fifteen thousand dollars for two hours, I will give them twenty hours for fifteen thousand dollars. And they can and call me three zero five eight zero three five nine five six. Text me and say, you know, I want fifteen. I want to pay you fifteen thousand dollars for twenty hours, and I'll be there. Done. Cool. Right. Some, somebody has to take care of that. So I'm sure I'll get some people. All right. So everybody, um, thank you so much for speaking at Connect. It was awesome last night. That was really good. I would really love your presentation. Next one is May second, Jack's Golf and Country Club. Follow Kyle at Kyle Paskowitz on Instagram. Follow us at Yellowbird Connect. You are not on social media, are you? We're setting uh, up. I'm, I'm setting up, but by the way, I have a page that I came out with, uh, Future Rheology. So it's a Future uh, Rheology. Uh, future Rheology, yeah. Uh, R-E-I. I, we'll, put it on, we'll put it on the... Okay, gotcha. Right. We'll put it up. And uh, I got there. Uh, you can basically put in your email there, and I'll send you my presentation. It's there, and anybody wants to uh, talk about investing in uh, uh, multifamily, uh, give me a call. Uh, just go to our website, prgroupusa.com. Beautiful. Thanks, guys. Right. Thanks, everybody. The main reason we started Connect is we were just sick of attending the same seminars um, and hearing a sales pitch all the time at the end. We just wanted to do something different, something that added value. It's just not who we are. It's not what we're doing. It's that we're consistent in doing it, and we're good at converting the leads that come in. So we're putting all that information out there for free, giving everyone that opportunity to do it also. The idea behind it is the more we give, the more we give back.